This morning's reading is from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. You'll find it on page 998 in the Pew Bibles. And if you'll stand and read along with me, please. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Over the past several weeks, we've heard many questions the culture is asking. And our aim this summer was to use the Bible to equip and empower our witness for Christ. We've tackled some challenging topics. And maybe at this point you feel slightly overwhelmed and afraid, or maybe thinking to yourself, am I really ready for this series to end? I mean, after this, am I really going to get out there and do this thing? If that's the case, I would venture to say that you're not the only one who feels this way and that God knows your heart this morning. And part of the inspired word of God is counsel from Paul, an elder, mature Christian leader with over 30 years of ministry experience, and he's pouring into the next generation. In this letter, Paul is drawing near to the end of his life, and he speaks into the life of a younger pastor. Part of me has already experienced this at Kenwood, from both Pastor David and Pastor Scott. I'm not saying they're on their deathbed, but my soul has been fed from them the past six months through their wisdom and their heart for the Lord. This morning, Paul speaks out in five sentences, telling us what's really important in our life. He squeezes all of that good stuff that we've heard over the last three months, and and he gives us a short summary. It's the difference between taking aim in a snowball fight with a handful of that light, powdery, soft, fluffy snow that as soon as you let go of it, it goes everywhere, and having that nice, compact consistency ready to leap into the fray. Paul gives us the ultimate snowball this morning. He says, you can be ready to share Christ. Just remember what's really important in the Christian life. Our passage this morning begins with an imperative, a command, remember. A direct command is very different from, boy, I wish you would do this, or how about next time, try. It's the strongest way to convey what you want from someone. Do this. 
And Paul literally says, recall into your mind and put this into your mind what I'm about to say. As a culture, reminders are all over the place. They're all around us. In our smartphones at any given time, we've got a whole digital calendar's worth of appointments, doctor's visits. We've got schedules and agendas and lunch meetings. Yet in our busy pursuit to remember everything, we forget a lot of stuff. I mean, how many times have you had to go through the password reset process on your laptop? But here is a reminder with higher stakes than all of those. If you could have a superpower to remember certain things for the rest of your life, Paul would choose this as one of them. And he says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. This reminder is an echo from our text last Sunday, to live as salt and to be a light on a hill. You are a new creation, Paul says, so act like a new creation. I was convicted this past week that Paul gives us no wiggle room here. Remember, he says, this is what your new life in Christ looks like. It's a mode of operation, a mode of being for us now, for me and for you, and for you, and for this whole church body, this whole church family together. The image of new life given to us in verses 1 and 2 is kind of like a diamond. It's one single life, but it has many different facets to it. The first component described for us is that we're for society, we're not against it. From, from Genesis to Revelation, God brings order out of chaos, and he invites us into that order and into a flourishing creation to come alongside what he's doing in the world. Second, the Christian life is a relationship of obedience. Above all else, we desire to listen and gladly obey the words of the Lord. This pleases the King of Kings and brings glory to his name. And remember, there is no better comfort or security than being at the center of God's will. This is a place of real joy and fulfilling purpose and lasting satisfaction. Jesus is the vine. He is life. And as his children, remember how sweet that life feels and tastes. Third, Paul says to be ready for every good work, for active Christian service. And I don't want you to walk out of this sanctuary without a clear mental picture of what that looks like. This is, this is Michael Phelps. <clears throat> He's the world's most decorated Olympian of all time with 28 medals. And we can see why. This is the face of total and utter, complete focus and concentration. He is staring that water down. And his body matches where his mind is. Notice his feet on the screen. One is pointed straight out and the other is gripping onto the starting block, pushing forward with all of his might. There is nothing that could shift his momentum either way for the race of head. He is ready to impact that water and go. 
And so are you ready? Are you prepared today? Are you all in? Or are you just kind of waiting still on the starting block for someone to push you into the water? Just recently, the student ministries had our first Guys and Girls Weekend. And it wouldn't have been possible without um, Chris and Jessica McLennan, who were ready to say yes to a group of teenagers. They opened their home to 30 teenagers and did it joyfully, sacrificing their time and their energy in house preparations. And the whole weekend, they put our needs in front of their own. So as we look for opportunities to be ready, remember that isn't it so true at the end of the day when our head hits the pillow, your best day are the ones where you did something for someone else. When you signed those adoption papers or when you finished raking several large piles of leaves for a neighbor. We're just wired that way in the image of Jesus Christ. To describe the last few surfaces of this diamond, Paul says, Speak evil of no one. Be peaceable. Considerate. Always gentle towards everyone. In other words, our speech is salty and our actions are light. We've been given this new life through Christ and so our interactions with one another, they're to be characterized by, by giving life to being up, uh, encouraging and uplifting, building each other up and, and using our tongues to speak words of, of, of graciousness to another family member, being patient towards our spouse and not quick to anger with our kids. Imagine for just a moment a community like that. Envision Kenwood Baptist Church in that mode of being. Remember these things, Paul says. But why is it so important for Paul to even give us this command? Why does he say, remember, and then, and then give us these seven characteristics? What's the point? The answer follows the four in verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, Slaves to passions and pleasures. So here is your new life in Christ, Paul says, that you need to remember because at one point in time, every one of us was distant from God. You and I had incurred the penalty of death for our sin and we were on a path of eternal separation from God. Think of a hole over a mile deep with no footholds to climb out. It was impossible. And not only was it impossible, but we didn't want to. This is the state of our being apart from God. And every day, it's our temptation to revert back to that old self and that pattern of behavior. Here are several examples from verse 3 that Paul gives us of this. First, our eyes are tempted to wander from that multifaceted diamond, that new life in Christ. Our thoughts are prone to going down rabbit trails. I feel like one of the, the dogs in the movie Up. Have you, have you seen anyone? Yes? <clears throat> I feel like one of the dogs in this movie. They're sitting around and they're strategizing on how to catch this bird on the island. And they say, soon. Soon we will catch the bird and it will be ours. 
we will catch him and we will take him to our squirrel. We will take him to our master and he will give us squirrels. Squirrels are everywhere. They're all around us, moving our attention from what's really important to what's not important. The other day I was praying and I was just thanking God for his abundance in, in Tacey and I in our life. And, and, and as I was praying about that uh, the, the provision, I started to think about houses. And my laptop was open next to me and it was on. And before I knew it, I was just clicking on different houses in the Kenwood area. And then all of a sudden an advertisement pops up and, and it's an advertisement for cat food. And as I'm looking at this, almost subconsciously, I go to YouTube and I start watching these funny videos of cats. So here we have, you know, just being in deep prayer for, for God's provision all the way to grumpy cats in the course of two minutes. A squirrel can come in many different forms. Technology, friends, hobbies, possessions, just about anything. Second, our pride makes life all about me. The focus shifts from Jesus and onto myself. What are my wants? What would make me happy in this moment? How does this decision affect my self-image? And when pride moves in, humility moves out. Pride causes our heart to crave what it doesn't possess. And it cannot bear to celebrate and, and see God working in somebody else's life. Third, we're tempted to unbridle the tongue and give it some slack. James 3 reminds us that for such a small part of the body, it packs a powerful punch. The tongue can produce an uncontrollable spark by way of a hurtful word, a white lie, or perhaps an argumentative reply. A single sentence can start a forest fire and consume someone. I mean, who created the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Hateful words can land harder and leave nastier scars than any stick or stone. And finally, the temptation for pursuing temporary satisfaction that the world is offering us. Instant gratification and brief fixes are like following a trail of breadcrumbs. And we follow each crumb hoping that it's going to lead us to the whole loaf. And it never does. What do those breadcrumbs look like for you? We feed on a constant stream, a constant supply of antidotes to that longing in our soul that only Jesus Christ can fill. And so Paul says that we were once foolish, disobedient. We were completely and utterly helpless. And even now we're, we're preoccupied with sin every day and we fall short of God's holy standards. Are you feeling with me the weight of verse 3. Now read again the beginning of verse 4. 
But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. A heralding of good news that boils down to the four most beautiful words in the English language. But he saved us. Over 2,000 years ago, the goodness and kindness of our loving Savior appeared in Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, God incarnate, broke into our world on a rescue mission. And he demonstrated the extent of his love and his kindness. It's as far-reaching as the east is to the west. And through his death and resurrection, he saved us and transformed this sinner's life. Jesus Christ alone has changed the paradigm. He's flipped the script. He alone can bridge that gap and move us from verse 3 to verse 4, only if our Savior acts, and he has. He saved us. So where, O oh death, is your sting? Satan, where is your power? Sin, where are your chains? Nailed to the cross and conquered by the empty tomb. We belong to Jesus now. Verse 5 continues saying, Not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. This verse is key to our relationship with God. It's the basis of our confidence and our hope. How would you complete the sentence, he saved me by blank? Because each and every one of us gives an answer for that, and it can't be in ourselves. Salvation is solely a work of grace and God's mercy. Titus 3.5 reminds me of my favorite passage in the Bible, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still Sinners, Christ died for us. Even in the midst of running the opposite direction and chasing after idolatry in my heart, Jesus saved me. And we contributed nothing to that salvation. Verse 7 So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to hope and eternal life. The ultimate consequence of being saved is that we become declared right and we become heirs of God's promises. We're adopted into his family as sons and daughters, cementing our hope in eternal life with Christ. Now look to verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. And I want you to insist, the NIV says to stress. I want you to stress these things. This is an oath statement used only by Paul. And it reaches the climax of our passage. In other words, 
Whatever I say next, Paul says, I want you to highlight. I want you to bold. I want you to underline in your Bibles. Stress these things. Remember that who you are right now in Christ as a new creation is because you were once foolish. But he saved us. So that those who believe in God, that's us, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Our concluding word to this summer series is an essential piece of what it means to follow Jesus. Be ready for every good work. And those who have experienced an inner paradigm shifting salvation do not keep it to themselves. Your heart is made new by God's undeserved grace. And a passive grace is not biblical. Grace mobilizes us to be ready for every good work for the sake of others. Exercising faith arises out of our new status of being saved by God. Police officers are capable of protecting the public because of their extensive training. Astronauts are able to go out on the International Space Station on long spacewalks because they've spent inordinate amount of times in huge, massive swimming pools. But we are capable of good works solely because of Christ. I have experienced this wonderful salvation, and many of you have as well. And right now in Cincinnati and around the globe, God is at work saving others and giving us just a small window, a small glimpse into his future kingdom. And the great mystery and privilege is that we get to participate in that. I remember one summer during college, I was with my friend Adam, and we were at a red box, late at night at midnight, looking to rent a DVD. Here's the picture of the Kroger and the red box right next to it. And these two guys approached us, and they wanted uh, a ride home. So we took the first guy to his house, and immediately when we got into his apartment, he passed out uh, in his bedroom. So then the next guy, Steve, he asked if we would take him to his home. So we drove Steve to his house, and he asked Adam and I if we would like to go up into his apartment and see his place. Adam had had enough at that point, but I was praying that God would somehow use this interaction. I followed him up, and I stepped into a dark living room, and he flicked on the lights, and I could see the thankful expression on Steve's face. He gathered a group of DVDs from the coffee table, and he stepped in front of me. He said, I want to thank you for driving us home tonight, so I'd like you to pick through a DVD. And uh, by the way, what do you do for a living? I stepped up to Steve and I said, well, Steve, you know, I'm, I'm in school right now studying to be a pastor. Steve's eyes widened and he immediately looked down at his gift and he said, oh, well, well, pastor, you don't want this one or this one or this one or this one. Here. And he handed me a Disney film, and I smiled. <laughs> you know, Steve, I don't need a DVD as a thank you. 
The best way you could thank me is actually to come to Easter breakfast on Sunday morning. And it was at this point that he explained to me that he had grown up Catholic and he used to attend Mass, but he didn't know where he stood anymore. And I'll never forget what he said to me that night. He said, Fred, I've lost sight of what I believe. And you don't know where I've been or what I've done. I just simply responded, Steve, God wants me to remind you tonight that it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. It only matters what Christ has done for you. I shook Steve's hand, and that was the last time I've ever seen Steve. And that's okay, because I'm trusting that someone else will be ready for every good work that God has put in their life to continue off where I left off on that gospel story with Steve. And so our application this morning is threefold. First, I just want you to remember Before you leave church, I encourage you to take out your phone and add a line to your busy digital calendar, but put this one on the top. I made mine a recurring uh, Monday and Thursday reminder, and it simply reads, Remember, God saved us, so be ready. Second, pray that God will show you where he is working in your surroundings and join him in mission. One place I know that God is on the move is at Kenwood Baptist Church. And are you fully engaged in the work to be done? Are you seeking out ministry opportunities and asking questions so that your gifts can be plugged in? Or is grace something that you've received and just tucked away? Lastly, be attentive to what the culture is asking at your work, in your school, or in your home. God's word has equipped us this summer to engage in those questions and extend God's love to someone else. So the next time your neighbor's outside, strike up a conversation. Listen, get to know their story a little better. Lend a hand in the garden, mow their side of the lawn, and be ready to share God's story. Let's remind and encourage one another with these words. Let's stress God's grace and be ready for every good work. Please pray with me. Lord, we confess that every day we miss the mark of your holy standard. And yet we're reminded this morning that you saved us. The moment your spirit regenerated and renewed our heart, we were born again into new life, and it's all because of you. We belong to you now, Jesus, and our lips will forever bring your name praise. I pray that your spirit would empower this church family to share its testimony and be ready for the good works that you're surrounding us with. Challenge us to step out in faith and follow your will. Sustain us by your grace, Lord, and give me and every person in here the boldness to fully engage in your mission. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.